Welcome to Care to Lead, Your Path to Leadership Success, brought to you by the Vizient Nurse Executives Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Barbara Seymour, Associate Vice President of Member Connections at Vizient, and I'm so excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Kathleen Wheatley, President of Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Dr. Wheatley previously served as the first corporate nurse executive of Abu Dhabi Health Services Company in the United Arab Emirates, where she led 12 hospitals and 62 ambulatory clinics in improving patient outcomes and reducing harm. She has held positions of leadership across the healthcare C-suite and is a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing. Welcome, Dr. Wheatley. Thank you, Barbara, for inviting me today. And I think for the ease of our conversation, please do call me Kathleen. Thanks for being here. You've held so many leadership roles in your career, spanning nursing, operational, and quality roles. Tell us about your current position as president of a large academic medical center and how your career evolved from the traditional nursing role to where it is today. It's interesting because chief nurses, as our audience will well know, have a lot of experience in hospital operations. And so coming up through those ranks, I obviously learned a great deal, not just about nursing operations, but about the entire interdisciplinary team and the support departments as well. So in this role now, a bit interesting because it is an academic medical center, and so we have also our medical staff employed faculty. In this role, I basically have overarching responsibility for all of the operational performance, the integrated work that we have with medical school, including our research and education that occurs within the health system, and also overarching responsibility for the financial performance of the organization. So it's a bit different in that it's a step above and beyond the traditional territory of what the system chief nurse executive is responsible for. In addition to the items I have mentioned, of course, I'm also responsible for the quality and caliber of patient care for our face to the community, so what our consumer strategy might be, and all of the other strategies that hospitals and health systems are faced with today in terms of ensuring that the quality of the care that we provide meets all of the standards that are required, including some of those that feed into our value-based purchasing measures and also the expectations and interactions and in our contracts with our private payers. So it's a bit more expansive, but the clinical background of being a chief nurse and having been a practitioner for so many years has been instrumental in enabling the change in the role. Because obviously, I don't need to be educated as a non-clinical person might need to be on the clinical aspects of the work that we do. I have had to learn more about the business aspects of the work of the health system, but not the clinical aspects. And obviously, as chief nurses, we have deep skill in our communication and our relationship building across the interprofessional team with our own workforce and with our customers and our patients and families, those that we care for now and those that we see as our potential future consumers. That's great, Kathleen. I love how you make that pull from nursing to the broader operations. And it's so true how we have that skill set. And you told us how you leverage that. I'd love to hear about your time in the UAE. I'd imagine there's some universal truths about healthcare, but also some unique characteristics. What were some of the lessons learned from your time there? And how has it influenced your career path and trajectory? I will start by saying that it was an unbelievable opportunity to experience life in the Middle East as an expat, 
and an employee of the government. So not an expat working for a private industry or a private company. So I obviously had very intricate interactions daily and otherwise with the government system. In the UAE, the majority of the healthcare is provided by the government, which is not unusual. A lot of other countries have that similar model. So it's true there as well. And so my entire reporting and the work that I did was interwoven with the government. There are universal truths about healthcare. And the most important universal truth is that patients desire deeply for their care to have compassion and to know that the person that is caring for them, the medical provider, the nursing provider, any other provider of the interdisciplinary team will be kind to them and will have empathy for them and compassion towards them. They obviously always expect that we know what we're doing. And I find that true in the U.S. as well, but it's true in all parts of the world. It's interesting the trust that the majority of patients put in us. They trust that we know what to do, and they hope that we'll do it with kindness and with care. So that was definitely a universal. Along with that is also the fear that patients have when they interact with the healthcare system and with providers. Because we're big and we're knowledgeable and we use words that might not resonate with them, and there's an element of fear about losing control when they become a patient and they hand their lives and their safety over to us. So that would be another universal truth. A big difference in the UAE, the majority of the clinical workforce is coming from other countries. The very small portion of the people living in the UAE are actually Emiratis, are actually citizens, because the country really has grown from import of workers from all around the world. So the majority of the clinicians and nurses in particular are coming from the Philippines and India, but many other countries as well, including a few Western countries. So in that environment, the workforce is very different than what it is in the United States. You have people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures, all working together with their own backgrounds and their own native language. So many are working in their second or third language in the medical records. So English is the language of the business, but most of the workers there, that is not their native language. So you have all of that interwoven in how you connect the workforce to the quality of care and how we are able to interact with each other and the assumptions that we might have. And oftentimes the confusion that can occur in what we say and how that might be interpreted to someone from another country whose language is not English first. The other really important element of note is that it became extremely apparent to me early how much interest nurses from around the world have in American nursing. There is so much that we as American nurses take for granted. We're one of the few to only countries in the world that funds nursing research at the federal level. We also are a country that started advanced education for nursing many decades ago. And so we have a lot of opportunity and a lot of programs to achieve advanced degrees. We have advanced practice roles in nursing. This does not exist in the UAE, so all of the care is provided by medical providers. The amount of interest from nursing there in terms of what's happening in America in nursing, they're avid to read our journals. They want to you know what's happening in our research. They admire us and what we have achieved for our profession in our country. And that includes our compensation. In many parts of the world and in the UAE, nursing is not necessarily seen with the same degree of respect as it is in the United States. And so they look at us as setting the standard for where nursing should be 
and how nursing can be perceived and appreciated by the community and, in this case, by the country. I realized how so few of the nurses in many, many, many parts of the world have access to advanced degree. Most do not have access to advanced practice roles. And so I learned to look at my profession and my country also from the outside. It really forced me to reevaluate and reassess my dedication to my profession. What was I doing in order to ensure that I was doing enough to respect it and advance it? It was actually because of my time there that I came back and pursued my DMP. When I left the UAE, I shared with my nursing staff, I'm going to go back and get my doctorate because all of you can't, and I'm going to do it for us. So it forced me to be more mindful, also to appreciate our journals and our research in a different way. In addition to pursuing my doctorate, I asked myself the question, am I really doing enough at the state and national level to advance nursing in America? As subsequent to that, I had the privilege to be asked to join the board of the Friends of the National Institute of Nursing Research. And I'm privileged to say that I'm now serving my second year as president. And that was very intentional on my part as well, because I realized that when I asked myself the question, am I doing enough? The answer was really no, I'm not doing enough. So I decided then at that point that if I had opportunity to give discretionary professional effort, that I would do it in ways that affected nursing research. And also, I serve on the board of the North Carolina Nurses Association, so advancing the policy agenda and also opportunities for the workforce in the state in which I'm living. So it pushed me in those ways. I'm not sure that I would have done it otherwise. I'm not sure I wouldn't have done it otherwise, but it certainly made me think differently. And lastly, looking into my own country and how our healthcare system is structured, obviously, we're not perfect. And we know that we have a lot of imperfections in terms of how our health and healthcare in our nation is looked at, and particularly in terms of access and who has care and who doesn't. I observed in the environment in the UAE and in the health system there, there was an absence of some government regulations that we take for granted in the United States. For instance, there is no Family and Medical Leave Act that does not exist. There is no OSHA. So there are no protections in the workplace to ensure necessarily safety for workers. I'm not saying that the government doesn't focus on that, but there are not regulations around that. There are also not regulations around equal opportunity from an employment perspective. And I also found myself on a number of occasions, really, you'll laugh, but wishing for the Joint Commission. Um, (laughs) And we actually were a system that pursued Joint Commission international accreditation and were successful in achieving that in the hospitals and the health system in which I worked. However, it's a little bit different and in some ways not as robust. But I did find myself on many occasions saying, where is OSHA? Things you won't actually ask yourself and hope they show up at your door uh, as a chief nurse in America. So yeah, it just made me appreciate things in a new way. And as a citizen of this country, it made me re-appreciate the privilege of voting. The UAE is not a democracy, and so you don't have all of that. And I realize how powerful it is, the power of the vote, and how fortunate we are in our country to be able to influence those who lead us. As distressed as we have been, I think, over the last few years, it's still a privilege that not everyone around the world has. 
Kathleen, throughout what you've just shared with us, which is so amazing. The common thread that I've heard is your passion for workforce and staff engagement, which to your point has become even more important through the pandemic. How have you used your experiences to keep your staff engaged and excited about our commitment to healthcare? Well, the pandemic certainly set a new bar, didn't it, in terms of staff distress and challenges for keeping our staff engaged. And I cannot tell you that I have figured it out, that I've solved this problem. I don't think any of us have, and I think the problem is continuing to evolve. What I have witnessed as a consequence of the pandemic is that many of our staff are suffering from long COVID. By that, I mean that the distress that they experience, the burnout, the exhaustion, all of those things, they continue. Those are wounds that don't just heal once we have the vaccine. There has been a great sequela in our nation to the pandemic in terms of workforce availability and changes that nurses have made now to their preferred choice of employment, travel or don't travel, retire early, some choices that people have made. So it's been much more difficult, and I've put a lot of emphasis on presence, purely that. Being present is extremely important. Being visible to your staff is extremely important, not only when things are bad, but also when things are good. But being present means that they can feel who you are. And I have learned also that what people often need during their suffering is to have you acknowledge it. So I don't think any of us as chief nurses, I know so many of my colleagues through Vizient know this as well, is that we have to acknowledge what they're going through. And I can't say that I have an immediate solution and I think everybody should now be happy and engaged. I hope that as we lead through the next many years that we will need to lead into to put COVID behind us, that we can regain trust from our employees and from our staff, that we as leaders acknowledge how we and the health system has failed them in our country in terms of the challenges that we have in supply and demand. It baffles me how one of the richest countries in the world hasn't figured out how to ensure that we prepare every year enough nurses to care for our population. But I guess that's for a different podcast, Barbara. There's a certain element of our workforce now that may not trust us. And so it is something we have to re-earn. There's no deadline on that. It is an ongoing conversation and the workforce obviously has changed. You know, there's a new generation and I actually love the younger generation. I think many people feel like, well, you know, they're more worried about their work-life balance. Well, you know, why not? I'm a mother of millennials, so I always tell people, you know, well, my children are perfect. So if there's something wrong with the generation, everybody (laughs) else did it because my sons are perfect. But the reality is we raise them to believe that the value of your life is not just what you do, it's who you are. And in order to be who you are, it means investing in yourself, the person. And it means putting your family first because at the end of the day, I've never seen a patient ask for their resume on their deathbed. They don't ask for that. They ask for the people they love and the people who love them. And so we as healthcare providers cannot speak from both sides of our mouths. If we believe in the holistic care for our patients, we have to believe in the holistic treatment of our staff as well. And to care for one and not the other is not a holistic approach to understanding the human experience and the role that we play as leaders in treating everybody with that same level of integrity and value in terms of who they are as the whole person. So I think the millennials and the next generation after them are really just the right generation to transform healthcare. 
you know, I'm fascinated by how my sons can do absolutely everything on their iPhone in 30 seconds. And it takes me three minutes to find out where is that under settings? They're just so much more tech savvy. And they're really driven to ensuring that why would I go to a doctor's visit when I can do it all virtually? And there are so many things that can be done that way. So they're positioned to change the way we operate to move us from a Monday, Friday workday because most people have to work too. And so how does healthcare change such that we serve our patients at times of day and weekends that they can access our care? And how do we create opportunities for people to receive the care in the environment of their home? Not just for post-acute care, but for ongoing monitoring and also for primary care. So they're pushing us to think differently. And we need that because the speed of change with artificial intelligence and with technology baffles all of us. And those of my generation, and I'm not that good at it. You know, I try to make believe that I like it, but I I find it all very daunting. (laughs) But the young people love it. So it's time for them to lead us through that trajectory. And they will be the generations, those two, the millennials and the generation after, to really drive the redesign of healthcare such that it's more on the out of the hospital systems than it is on the in. Kathleen, what's the biggest thing you've had to overcome in becoming a leader outside of what we'd consider a traditional nursing path? The biggest challenge has been to educate the internal healthcare community into the comprehensive skill set and knowledge base that nurses have. Physician leaders often feel that nurse leaders only know about nursing and only care about nursing. I'm not excluding the patient here. They know we care about our patients as well. But the reality is nurses have a lot of knowledge about operations. And so the challenge is to demonstrate that as a nurse leader, that my operational knowledge and the financial knowledge that goes with that is an inherent aspect of my growth as a nurse leader. I came up largely and principally through nursing, and it has provided me with a brilliant career, but an extraordinary base for understanding what health systems need in terms of leadership and also an extraordinary ability to understand the power and the value of building relationships across all disciplines. So there's that piece and also demonstrating that my thinking every day encompasses all of the employees. We use the term teammates at Atrium Health and I kind of like that, but that all of our teammates, I'm thinking about everyone. I'm not just thinking about the nursing workforce and I'm not just thinking about the medical staff workforce. I'm thinking about the workforce that are stationed at the valet and the workforce that are on the loading dock because they are all part of the pieces that make this health system and this campus run. Sort of like you can't neglect any particular aspect of the human body and think it's not important. It's all important and it's all interconnected. So there's a lot of that, you know, getting people to realize that you're not just thinking about nursing, you're thinking about everybody and that you have the same as a nurse leader capacity for making the transition from a nursing leadership role to a role such as president. Because, you know, the reality is that physicians have done this and do it without the same questions being asked of them, or at least it appears that way to me in in my career. There's demonstrating that, you know, look, I can hold my own and I have the same uh, ability to understand what is needed from a clinical perspective and also from an operational perspective. So it's showing up ready and whole and being not afraid to challenge some of those assumptions and also knowing that at times I have to restate what I might say. So I'll give you an example. Just yesterday in our organization, we were discussing some of our challenges around our productivity reporting systems, some of which have 
not been working as well as we might like. And a comment was made about, well, I understand that nursing doesn't have productivity either. And my response was, no, we have that. We have always had productivity. And then I had to step back and I had to say, we, nursing. Because the we that I should be speaking of at all times is not just any one discipline or any one profession or any one element of the workforce. It's consistently sending the message that you're thinking for everyone. And, you know, there's some challenges around, I have to put it out there, being a woman as you change roles. And many of the roles that are not traditional nursing roles, um, healthcare leadership are held by men. And being able to demonstrate that I'm not afraid, I can speak my mind, and I can hold my own even in that type of gender dynamics. Now, I'm not saying that we have any particular unusual gender dynamics here at Atrium Health Wake Forest. It's just the world that we live in. So it's stepping forward, being a woman who's willing to lead and make the difficult decisions, make the joyful decisions and not be afraid. And sometimes I just think that nurses are looked at as sitting in the back or standing back and not wanting to be in the front. Now I will share that I don't typically like to be the center of attention, but if you're going to lead in some roles that put you outside of traditional roles, then you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone embrace the imposter syndrome. Yes, it's a real thing. And go with it and realize that a lot of people around you are willing to support you and rely on them. And don't think that that there are few who might want to undermine or the many. There are lots and lots of leaders in health systems who have learned to appreciate what nurse leaders bring to the table and the comprehensive way that we think and the way that we interact with others. Speaking of joyful and courageous decisions, as you look back on your career, why are you glad you chose nursing? Well, the joke I like to tell is I come from a Catholic New England family and we were working class and immigrants. And my mother said to me, well, you can be a nun or you can be a nurse. (laughs) So one was ruled out in my head after 12 (laughs) years of Catholic school. I thought I'm not going in that direction. But that's not the actual truth. I knew as a child that I was called to nursing. I sometimes think that there's something on our genetic pool. I have come from a long line of nurses in my family. And I'm glad that I chose it because I still believe that it is the greatest of the healthcare professions because we have the privilege of being present in the human experience in ways that other disciplines may not. You know, we're present for the births, we're present for the deaths, we're present 24-7. And we are given that great gift from people to be part of the science of their care and also part of the compassion and the qualitative aspects of their care. I can't think of a more important thing to be in my life than having that privilege to accompany others through the human experience. I'm really glad I chose it. But then I look now and I think, wow, the education that was afforded to me through this profession and the opportunities to make a difference and to grow as a person and as a leader have been profound. And I don't know that that happens in every other profession. I I don't know because I've been doing this now for 43 years. But if I had to start all over again, I would still do it. And I invite anyone to contest that what we do isn't a gift of privilege. Gosh, it's such a beautiful way to summate the art and science of nursing, Kathleen. I so appreciate you sharing your journey with us and your leadership insights. It's been a pleasure having you today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. 
If you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to hear more Care to Lead podcasts. Like us and send us your comments. Care to Lead is your path to success and is brought to you by the Visient Nurse Executives Network. I'm Barbara Seymour. Have a great day.